0: And welcome to episode zero 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 one two four of the mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through to eight this evening, broadcasting to you from Radio City Docklands, which is on the Rowundry land of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present. And I remind everyone listening that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um thanks for tuning in. If you're a regular listener to this show, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, welcome. This is a show about social justice for those people at the wrong end of the social justice arc in this country, and in particular, First Nations people and communities. Anything you hear on tonight's show, you can go back and listen to or revisit on the RRR website, rrr.org.au, or you can download the Mission podcast by simply searching for it through your favourite podcatcher. Uh, on to tonight's show, shortly I'll be joined by Corinda Taylor, CEO of First Peoples Health and Wellbeing, which is an Aborigine, Aboriginal community controlled health organisation. We'll find out how the Aboriginal community is coping in some of Melbourne's hotspots around the city of Hume and uh, down at the start of the peninsula around Frankston. Uh, so stick around for that conversation as well. It's a very important conversation, obviously, given today's numbers. But before we get on to all of that, I just wanted to draw your attention back to an issue we covered right at the start of the pandemic, that issue being the threat posed by the virus if it were to get into Victoria's prison system. The reason why we raised that here on this show, of course, is because Aboriginal people are wildly overrepresented in our justice system. Therefore, if the virus takes hold in our prisons, then it's more likely to affect Aboriginal people disproportionately than the rest of the prison population. The reason I mention this now is because today it was revealed that as we sit here, there are 36 inmates and 15 staff members that have tested positive to COVID-19. 16 of the positive prisoners are in the Melbourne Assessment Prison, 11 are at the Metro Remand Centre, 5 are at Ravenhall Correctional Centre, 3 at Dame Phyllis Frost Centre and 1 COVID-19 positive prisoner at Port Phillip Prison. I don't know whether well, they all—they call them all prisons, they're all prisons, not <laughs> romance centres and um, uh, correctional centres and the like, they're prisons. Uh, the government said that 62% of prison staff in Victoria were fully vaccinated against COVID-19, with 52% of inmates having received two doses. Now, organisations such as the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service have been pleading with the state government to put measures in place to address this totally foreseeable crisis. Prisons have the same risk profile as aged care settings, and while much has been done to improve the readiness of that sector, and rightly so, the same cannot be said of our prisons. So therefore, this risk decimating the Aboriginal population in these prisons. And I'm sad to say that anecdotally, there has been a degree of hesitancy amongst prisoners. Uh, I was out at Dame Phyllis Frost Centre earlier this year to co-host the 3CR's Beyond the Bars broadcast. And back then, there was some hesitancy amongst some of, the, some of the prisoners. So let's hope that's changed since then, because it actually absolutely needs to change. Otherwise, children risk losing their parents, their aunties, their uncles, all needlessly. So we'll keep on top of that issue in the weeks ahead, and we'll try and get someone from VALS or Corrections Victoria to put a little bit more meat on the bone for us. So keep your eyes and your ears open. But let's get on with tonight's show first.
1: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You're
0: listening to the mission on Triple R 102.7 FM. Um, The vaccination rate for Aboriginal Victorians continues to lag behind that of the non Aboriginal population. The latest number available to us indicate that non-Indigenous people have received 82.9% of their first dose, while Aboriginal people have only received 65%. This relatively low rate, coupled with record daily case numbers across Melbourne and regional Victoria, means we are at a very crucial moment when it comes to First Nations people in this place known as Victoria and the pandemic. Now, if you're a regular listener to the program, then you would be aware of the tremendous work being done all over the place to get vaccines in Aboriginal arms and to give people the chance to be informed about the choices they make during this health crisis. Well, One of those health services in the thick of the fight against COVID is First Peoples Health and Wellbeing. First, health, First Peoples Health and Wellbeing is an Aboriginal community-controlled health organisation servicing um, service aiming to improve access to affordable primary health care in urban Melbourne. The organisation was previously known as Access Services for Koorys, which was set up to improve primary health care access to First Peoples in the north and western suburbs of Melbourne. In 2018, the organisation expanded to set up a clinic in um, an area with unmet primary health care need in Thomastown. To reflect this development, the name of the organisation was changed to First People's Health and Wellbeing. Now, I'm very fortunate to have on the line now the CEO, who is Corinda Taylor, a Wamba woman from North West of Victoria, where she was born and raised. Uh, Corinda is a registered nurse and a midwife and has over 15 years' experience working in various health settings. And like I said, I'm very pleased to have Corinda on the line now. Corinda, welcome to Triple R.
1: Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure. Thank you for uh, taking the time out uh, this evening. Um, tell us about uh, the service area of your organisation. Um, where where do you have services, and um, what communities do you serve?
1: Yes, yeah, so we've got we've got two clinics now, Daniel. So we're we're based in Thomastown and also in Frankston. So we've got a service in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, uh, and then down in Frankston, sort of you know covering the southeast and the Mornington Peninsula. Um, uh, fairly new in this space of primary health care. Um, Thomastown opened in, in late 2018, so about to celebrate its third birthday, and, and Frankston, um, just 12 months later, opened up. So just sort of responding to community demand and, and unmet health need across sort of Metro Melbourne.
0: So in terms of Town and, and and Frankston, what, what does the, the community look like there? What, what's the socioeconomics... Um, The social demographics of it, I should say, Um, in terms of age and, um, you know, occupation, how people are going in those areas,
1: where do they fit in the scheme of things? Yeah, I think um, we often talk about um, the Aboriginal communities because I think, you know, while we're in Metro Melbourne and across Victoria and it's a relatively small community and, and lots of people know each other, there's actually very different um, demographic and, and very different need. And um, we were actually surprised what we found when we opened up the Frankston Clinic was this um, overwhelming level of complexity because there'd been no ATOs or community-controlled health services in the area um forever um at, you know in the northern suburbs there's a there's a range of ser- services including bars um mm-hmm. and other sort of peak body services so i think um that the health need is very different in terms of the actual demographics um you know around half of the aboriginal population is under 25 and that's sort of across the board and you know that that sort of sits in line with our patient numbers um starting to see older patients, you know, that as we close the gap, we are feeding older patients and, and caring for our elders. You know, that sort of work's increasing as well. Um, but the majority of work is still sort of, you know, mid-range, around 25 to, to sort of 55-year-old uh,
0: people. know, I guess the fact that the, the population is such a younger population, and that's true of the Aboriginal population across Victoria. Um, yeah. That's had, that's had an impact on, um, I guess, the vaccine rollout.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the percentages, um, I mean, they vary and they, they they really do fluctuate and obviously, you know, one of your um, segments, you know, recently talked about the ABC article that came out around the the data information that was misleading around the Aboriginal population and, um, you know, it really lends itself to the conversation around identity and, you know, um, while it was predominantly in Victoria, there was, you know, little parts of New South Wales that was affected by that software, but... You know, what it really shows us is that, um, you know, being the default, that if, you know, you didn't ask the question right and you didn't record that information, which we know is a mandatory field for all health professionals, um, you end up with these really unfortunate stats that, you know, shed a different light on what the reality is, you um, yeah. it really it
0: really it really took the wind out of everyone's sails didn't it we we thought we were um you know ahead of the curve on this and doing better than the mainstream population and then to have that regic data just because of a uh, uh, a glitch in the software program. It was way around. It was, it was you know centered around the way the question was asked and the way that um, you entered the data into that particular software software program. But what it meant is that it brought us right back to the pack and and actually put us behind the mainstream population in terms of of the vaccine rollout. Was, did you find that particularly deflating?
1: Yeah, no, look, I mean, I actually didn't find it surprising and I know, yeah, I absolutely see where you're coming from and, you know, we got a lot of feedback from community about, you know, thinking we're doing a fairly deadly job and we are. I think, you know, we've had extraordinary numbers, particularly, you know, I can only really um, talk about, you know, our response and and the vaccine numbers at our service, which, you know, aren't just leading the way in Victoria, but nationally, you know, we've got outstanding um, percentages for vaccine rates. We've got some hesitancy, but, you know, all we ask our our patients and, and new people coming to the services just commit to having a yarn with the doctor. Um, you know, I think in terms of the way Atcho, you know, care for their patients, you know, we don't do five-minute medicine, we spend that time, we build a rapport. And so some of that hesitancy has been addressed by just saying, you know, you entrust in us and work with us in genuine partnership every other day. So trust in us in this and that, you know, have a yarn about your concerns. And um, so I think that's, you know, Um, gone a long way to sort of addressing some of the hesitancy which continues and I think we're at the pointy end now in terms of percentages but yeah when that data was first released I looked at the numbers and thought I just can't be right when you broke down our population and going back to that demographic of you know half our population under 25 and if you you know look at half of our population lives in sort of broader metro Melbourne and and the rest in sort of you know regional areas the numbers just didn't jowl and I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I wasn't surprised. It is, it is disappointing because, um, you know, I think collectively the ACCHOs are doing an extraordinary work in, um, you know, creating engagement and trying to remove some of the barriers to access. But, um, you know, it absolutely goes hand in hand, I think, with, you know, the other, other elements of Closing the Gap that we're still a ways behind in that space.
0: Yeah, there's absolutely tremendous work happening right across the state, um, led in the main by the you know community-controlled health organisations. Um, uh, we we had a fantastic, you know, as as much as <laughs> you can have a fantastic year in terms of COVID. But the Aboriginal community, you know, prided itself last year on not having one death from from mm-hmm. COVID, and that was because the the public health messaging from organisations like yours and across the sector is so powerful, and people understood what they had to do and uh, where they had to be, and uh, you know, the the the, the parameters of what we could do as, you know, community members to, to look after our own. Are uh, we at a point now where um, hesitancy is, is the main issue in terms of getting, getting the jet because the reports I've had from across the state um, speaking to various people is that there is a degree of hesitancy, but I just wanted to hear from, from you, how, how deep does that problem go and, and can it be overcome?
1: Yeah, I think it can be overcome. And I think, you know, again, you touched on sort of the response from the Atchow sector and collectively, you know, we've had a massive impact in, you know, engaging community and getting the vaccine up uptake. But, um, you know, sadly, what's more powerful is social media and the misinformation that comes out and the overwhelming amount of misinformation. Um, you know, it's, it's not hardcore conspiracy theorists. The other consideration is that, you know, we're getting we're getting to the pointy end of, um, you know, the small percentage where it's not just hesitancy around, you know, trust or or the information that's coming out from government. Um, it, it's also people with needle phobias. It's people with, yeah. you know, family history that's, you know, adverse to, um, you know, there's people that are just genuinely scared of getting a needle. It doesn't matter whether it's a COVID vaccine or, or any other, you know, injection. But, um, you know, again, I think just, committing to having a yarn with the doctor, Um, you know, we've got 100% of our staff vaccinated and and have had for, you know, over a month now. Um, We had a couple of people, you know, quite hesitant, um, you know, for their own reasons. And and we just, we just convinced them to have a yarn with a doctor and, and after discussing their individual genuine concerns and, you know, just just blowing out some of the myths that are out on social media, um, you know, people, you know, not just our staff, but patients have felt better to then to then get the vaccine. So we just need to keep pushing against that and that overwhelming misinformation out of social media and, and just keep pushing forward. But we will get there. I think, you know, the community, uh, when you ask patients uh, and the community more broadly about, you know, why they got the vaccine, you know, I've spoken to some of our elders that were adamant even a month ago or two months ago, that they were never getting the vaccine. Um, they've had a chat to the doctor, they've talked to some people and then they've, you know, they've come in and got it and said, I did that for my community, I did that for my grannies, you know, I want to see the grandkids, you know. I think our, um, our need to reconnect with our, you know, community and, and kin is um, going to drive our community to stay safe.
0: The world was a better place for about six hours today, Corinda, when <laughs> Facebook and Instagram uh, had crashed, and uh, there was a there was a vacuum in misinformation. So, um, mm. uh, because yeah, you're absolutely right. That's what I hear as well is that uh, so much of the misinformation around the vaccine and the uh, the, the motives behind government pushing vaccines is just um, really debilitating in, in in so many senses. Um, how how many people um, have come through your clinics and and have the, had the jab now? Do you do you have a number yeah. on that?
1: Yeah, we um we, we pulled some um some raw numbers, so not going by the air data that wasn't quite right with those those identity issues. Um, we looked at our our actual patient database. We've actually just changed patient database in the last couple of weeks. Um, not perfect timing, but um, as of a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting at eighty five percent for one dose and sixty five percent for fully vaccinated. Um, so again, when you look at you know even the updated details here in Fantastic. Victoria for the Aboriginal community, are you looking at? eighty five percent versus sixty five and you know sixty five percent versus forty. Like it's a it's a fair effort, but it's a small pocket of the the community. Um but we've done um just just on or nearly two thousand vaccines um for first and second dose. So that's both AstraZeneca and, and Pfizer um, since April. And in terms of COVID testing, you know we've done eight and a half thousand COVID tests. In the last eighteen months, so wow. <laughs> um, yeah, coming thick and fast, and continue to obviously in the north with the current environment there.
0: And all that goes to show that um, you know there's obviously a tremendous community spirit. Everyone's looking out for each other where, where possible. Um, you know, I guess one of the things that I would I would say to people, um, you know, who are, have a bit of a needle phobia, it's actually less seems less invasive to me than <laughs> than, the, than going to get a test. Um, yeah, <laughs> to absolutely. actually you know, get your brain scraped yep. <laughs> to, to prove you yeah. don't have COVID. I, when I had my test, I, I'm, I'm double vaxed. I had um, Pfizer back in back in June, and I literally didn't feel. Anything. Um, yes, I actually yes. wondered whether that actually delivered to me, so I started going online and coming up with conspiracy theories, but didn't yeah. get any bites. No, I'm joking. Um, no, but, no, um... no.
1: I totally agree, though. But I mean, um, you know, I think people that have got a genuine phobia, it's not even really about, you know, the pain that the needle might bring. Um, you know, it's more it's of a sensation. Level, and, you know, it's it's the metal in your arm and all of that sort of stuff. And even yeah. after getting the first dose and saying things like. I actually didn't even really feel that it doesn't make them any less hesitant about the second one um so you know the, the encouragement and the um working them up to getting the second one starts all over um to be honest but you know it's um yep. it, is, it is a real and it's more common than you realize so absolutely. a bit of work around that full
0: kudos to to people that are you know actually trying to overcome that phobia to 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 look after themselves in the community that they are um, they are heroes in the own right you yeah. know in a, in absolutely. a way absolutely um, it is 10 to 8, uh, you're listening to The Mission. Um, I'm speaking with uh, Corinda Taylor, who is the CEO of First Peoples Health and Wellbeing, which is an Aboriginal community-controlled uh, health organisation. We're talking about the uh, the pandemic, you may have heard of it. Um, is supply still an issue in terms of the vaccine, Corinda?
1: No, actually, no, it's not. It's um, we're, we're now getting... We have a regular fortnightly... Um, supply that, you know, has been varied on and off over a period of time and, and actually just increased, you know, quite regularly. Um, but we actually get ongoing correspondence from the Commonwealth offering us additional supply now uh, weekly, um, which we decline. We, we, we're just sitting really nicely with the supply that we've got. Um, you know, I think... Yeah, I don't know what it's across the board it is, but certainly there has been additional supports in, you know, trying to um, support Aboriginal organisations to have the supply they need. Um, PPE always remains a bit of an issue. You know, we've we used yes. some pretty innovative ways to get our staff protected, particularly in the early days. Um, at one stage, we were sourcing full-covered uh, full, full covered gowns uh, from the catering company at the MCG. So we've been very uh, innovative in the way we protect our staff at one point. Um, less of a concern now, but, you know, it, it's sort of ongoing and, you know, there's significant cost behind some of those things, which is, you know, things that we constantly have to weigh up, um, including just the staffing resource. I think, you know, while we remain focused on the pandemic, You know, I I think, um, you know, it's quite neglectful if we don't consider the broader mental health and also the preventative screening that, you know, in the short term got dropped off and it was was more than reasonable and people had an expectation that, that, you know, we just need to sort of get through this and and we'll get back to, you know, some sort of normality, whatever that looks like. But, you know, the longevity of the pandemic, you know, we're really been having conversations for a while going, you know, this isn't really going anywhere. What are we going to... You know, the preventative screening around, you know, some of the women's business, you know, is genuinely concerning about what it looks like for people getting detected, um, you know, way too late for, for some things. So it's a concern ongoing.
0: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the PPE. We, we forget that at the start of the pandemic there was such a huge, huge issue and um, the year that it remains a bit of an issue is, 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 is disappointing. Um, is, what needs, is there anything else that needs to be done that's not being done at the moment to um, address this this, this pandemic? Is there anything that government can be doing? Is there any service provision that is not being met at the moment? Um, Do you have any sort of thoughts or ideas around if there's anything else more than can be done besides people getting tested and getting vaccinated?
1: I mean, in terms of a natural perspective and, you know, certainly for our organisation, you know, the ongoing thing is the longer term. So, you know, there was some COVID injection funds, you know, to increase workforce, for instance, you know, to do the testing and, and to do the vaccine rollout. And it's very short term funding uh, and the ongoing concern is that, you know, you're trying to recruit people that potentially have another job elsewhere. Um, you know, so what, what makes you an employer of choice to attract people, particularly when you've got sh- short-term funding? So I think, you know, um, each day it's sort of shifting and changing, but, I, you know, I, I get a sense that, you know, we, we feel quite supported that there is things in the pipeline with the government, um, you know, around the mental health, you know, that that is really the next pandemic, right, along with the pandemic of yes. the unvaccinated, to be honest. Yeah. Um And, you know, we'll continue to work towards that. But I think there is a a number of things sort of in the pipeline. It'd just be nice if they hit the ground a little sooner than we'd we'd like.
0: And just before I let you go, um, what would be... What's the the major health issue outside the pandemic? What's what's the sort of... uh, What are some of the issues and um, uh, comorbidities that you are uh, focusing on, you know,
1: in and around the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, of course, chronic disease is ongoing. Um, The preventative screening that I touched on before, but hands down mental health, you know, we have a community continues to unravel, you know, in this pandemic um, from a mental health and broader wellbeing viewpoint. Um, You know, I think the the loss of sort of connection to community, country, kin, you know, a lot of us don't live on our home country and to get back home, you know, yearning for that really affects you know, an individual's mental health and, and broader well being. So I think yeah, I, I think mental health would be the standout one.
0: When was the last time you were home, Corinda? Where were, were you back on Wamba Wamba Country? Whereabouts oh. in Wamba Wamba country are you from?
1: Yeah, Swan Hill, uh, yeah, recently right. actually, but um, you know, not not for great not great circumstances and it, it wasn't for oh, rest but it that. was for family ill health. But um yeah, yeah. Re- recently, but before that probably twelve months. So um, yeah, we, we've got a lot of staff that are just so desperate to get back home, and um, you know it's not unique to us. But of course, our challenge to to manage.
0: Yeah, no, we're all uh, we're all miserable together. So that's <laughs> yes, something that's that we right. need to <laughs> remind ourselves. Um, Corinda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for the for the work that you do. Well, let's stay in touch. Um, If you're out there, folks, and and you're hesitant about getting vaccinations for any reason, speak to your local healthcare provider and they can walk through some of the issues with you. But um, in the meantime, Mark, Corinda, thank you so much. Enjoy your uh, Tuesday evening.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks, Daniel. Talk soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.